living in a time where there are a lot of emotions going on. There are a lot of real issues happening in families and in relationships. And without understanding the plan of God and the principles that are encompassed in this plan, then we will be running off and doing all sorts of things, making decisions that will actually be detrimental uh, to our development and to our growth. And so I, I want to encourage us to really think and dig and, you know, whatever is superfluous, whatever is not really anchoring us in the word, to put those things aside and, and really give God an opportunity to give us a deeper, a more clear understanding of his word, not a superficial understanding, you know, not what we've heard all these years, you know, take those things that we've heard, but even go, go deeper and more substantive. When I say deeper, I don't mean like it's new light. I just mean a, a greater grounding into what is truth, right? A greater grounding into what is truth for we're living in a time where everything that can go wrong is being going wrong, at least in the eyes of men. But God has a plan. God has uh, an objective in all that is happening, and he's working all things after the counsel of his own, of his own will. So tonight, we're going to study. Make sure you have your pen, paper, Bible, and we're going to diligently take our time and make sure that we are, we're walking in lockstep with God as we're seeking to understand his word. So just wanted to put that out there. One of them... Just thank you guys for coming. Before we begin, just have, let's have a word of prayer and ask God for his Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our guide as we begin to open the word of God. Father in heaven, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. Father, there are no frills here. There are no extra sounding music. There's no sweet sounding voice. We just want your voice, Father. We don't want to be entertained tonight. We want to draw closer to you. So whatever it takes, Father, for us to understand your word, we ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. We ask this in the name of Jesus and claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. So, my friends, I want you to open your Bibles with me to the book of Daniel. Now, we've been going over Daniel night after night, uh, well, Sunday nights and Wednesday night, and we've been going over this book, and we're actually in Daniel chapter 8 slash 9, and we're going to be in Daniel 8 and 9 for at least, I'm going to think, probably another three days, and the reason why I think we're going to do that is because there's so many wonderful principles and connections, wh whether they're technical connections or whether they're spiritual connections, we want to make as, as many of them as possible in order that we can be anchored in what I consider the most profound prophecy, the most profound time prophecy in the Bible. And we have, to a great degree, kind of based on our experience, no matter what religion we are, we, we kind of just assume that we understand. And the reality is there's so much more there and there's so much more at stake in these texts than we first understood. So I want to first deal with Daniel 9, 
we went over Daniel 8. We're going to go back to Daniel 8 today, but we're going to start in 9 because I want to start with the prayer of Daniel. And when we start with the prayer of Daniel, then we're going to double back and we're going to look at Daniel's concern uh, again. In fact, yes, let's go to Daniel 9. Let's go there. Daniel chapter 9 and beginning at verse number 1. Daniel 9 and beginning at verse number 1. And please notice what the scripture says. Now, again, the reason why we're studying our Bibles is because our anchor can only hold in the scripture. Your anchor does not hold based on my enthusiasm. Your anchor does not hold based on the church that you attend. Your anchor only holds based on what the word of God says and our faith and trust in the God of this book. So in Daniel chapter nine, and I want you to begin reading with me in verse number one, Daniel 9, verse 1, the Bible says, In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the seed of the Medes, so we know that this is during the time of the Medes and the Persians, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of this reign, I, Daniel, understood by books, the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. Now, for a moment, let me just make a comment on this. Here we find an interesting component in the passage. We know from our perspective that Daniel is a prophet. But being a prophet does not mean you're not subject to, to the scriptures. We have so many people running around calling themselves prophets or apostles or preachers and teachers, but they're not subject to the scriptures. Here, Daniel, provoked by the visions that he's had over the time, is going back to the scriptures. And he says, I understood by books, plural, not by a book, but by books. Because he's seeking to understand the will of God. The true prophet of God is not going to be taking, at least on a regular basis, arrogancy to himself or to herself. There is a dependence on the inspired word. So in the first year of the reign of Daniel, Daniel understood by books the number of the years whereof the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the prophet, that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolations of Jerusalem. So we know right now that he's studying the writings of Jeremiah the prophet. Now, just so you are fully aware, Jeremiah the prophet was a contemporary of Daniel, meaning that Jeremiah the prophet literally lived during the same time. In fact, before Daniel and his friends were taken captive into Babylon, Jeremiah the prophet was prophesying in Jerusalem. Another contemporary of Daniel the prophet was Ezekiel. Ezekiel was taken captive, not on the first wave, not on the second wave. In the second wave, he was taken because it was 592 who was called to prophetic office. So in 592, he's taken to prophetic office. 587, the third destruction of Jerusalem uh, takes place. So Daniel's taken in the first siege. Ezekiel's taken in the second siege. Destruction, final destruction of Jerusalem is in 587, and that's in the third siege. So Ezekiel. Daniel and Jeremiah are contemporaries, Jeremiah being the oldest of the three. All right, so verse three. I set my face unto the Lord God 
to seek by prayer and supplications with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. Okay, pause for a moment. I want you to see, again, the mindset of Daniel, because when we're looking at Daniel, my friends, I think we should be looking at ourselves to a certain degree. Uh, Daniel, a, a servant of the Most High, has been troubled by the revelations that God has been giving him. And for those of you who are joining in for the first time, we need to review for a moment what are the revelations that are concerning the man Daniel? Because this prayer is being provoked. This Bible study that he's into right now is provoking him to fasting and prayer. It's not just him praying. He said, I fasted in prayer with sackcloth. This is a serious matter to Daniel. So let's review for a moment the concern of Daniel. And this will come back to us in a few few moments when, when I begin to lay out the steps for understanding the longest and most important prophecy, time prophecy in the Bible. Okay, so what is Daniel's concern? Let's go back. Daniel chapter 7, we're reviewing for a moment to bring us to the current. In Daniel chapter 7, we read in verse number 15, and this is after Daniel has seen the lion that has two wings. The man's heart was given into that lion. There's a bear that's raised up on one side, three ribs in his mouth. We see also that there's this leopard that has four heads. And this leopard that has four heads then is followed by this dreadful and terrible beast. There's a dreadful and terrible beast that has ten horns coming out of his head. There's a little horn that comes up, plucks up three horns by the roots. This little horn has eyes like the eyes of a man, and he speaks blasphemy. Then we see a throne room situation where God himself is sitting on the throne. The Ancient of Days is sitting there, and the Son of Man, who is Jesus Christ the righteous, comes into the judgment scene to receive a kingdom. That's what we read. And then in verse 15, watch Daniel's concern. Watch his reaction and watch his concern. Verse 15 says, I, Daniel, was grieved in my spirit in the midst of my body, and the visions of my head troubled me. Okay, there you have it. He looks at the vision and he's troubled. So he's going to ask a question. He's going to ask, can you please explain to me this, this vision, dear angel? Can you please break this down for me? And the angel does the most simplistic explanation of the prophecy. Verse 16, I came near unto one of them that stood by and asked him the truth of all this. So he told me and made me know the interpretation of the things. These great beasts, which are four, are four kings, which shall arise out of the earth. Now we know that kings, in this sense, they're kings over kingdoms. You can see kings and kingdoms are interchangeable if you look at verse number 23 of Daniel, of Daniel 7. Now, with that in mind, he tells them, Verse 18, but the saints of the Most High shall take the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, even forever and ever. Now Daniel begins to question. What does he question? He begins to question in verse number 19. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast. Which beast? The fourth beast. He wants to know the truth of the fourth beast. 
He doesn't want to know the truth of the first beast or the second beast or the third beast. He's interested in the fourth beast that has 10 horns and a little horn that comes up and plucks up three by the roots. This little horn persecutes and prosecutes who? Let's read. Then I would know the truth of the fourth beast, which was diverse from all the others, exceeding dreadful, whose teeth were of iron and his nails of brass, which devoured, break in pieces and stamped the residue with his feet. And the ten horns that were in his head and of the other which came up and before whom three fell, even of that horn that had eyes and it had a mouth that spake very great things, whose look was more stout than his fellows. I beheld and the same horn made war with the saints and prevailed against them. Now, my friends, I, I posit to you now that this is the only thing that disturbed him. In fact, if you look down at verse number 25, the angel is explaining the ten horns, and he goes in, in verse number 25, he gets to the little horn, he says, and he, hath, and he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints on the Most High, and think to change times and laws, and they shall be given into his hand until a what? Time and times and the dividing of time. So here it is. Now there's a time frame given. In addition to them being persecuted and prosecuted, making war on the saints of the Most High, making war against God, there is a time frame, a time, times, and a half time. Now, those of you who have been studying, again, this is review, but those of you who have been studying, time, times, and a half time, though that word time, if you go back to, I believe it's Daniel 4, when Nebuchadnezzar is, has a vision of a tree, and he begins to be pompous and proud within himself, and begins to speak pridefully, God speaks from heaven and tells him that seven times are going to pass over him, and he's going to become like a beast. In your study Bible, the word time or times will say seven years. So a time would be one year. Times would be two, and then it would be three times, four times, five times. In this case, it's time, times, and half time. So time, one year. Times would be two years. That would be three. And then a half time would be a half a year. So it would be three and a half times. Now, we again, this is something we talked about, but review. Uh, repetition is the mother of learning, right? So time times and half time so in the average jewish month because they did a lunar calendar there were 30 days average in a month and there are many ways to show that i could in a different time i would do that but there were 30 days in a month on average so in their 12 month calendar is 360 years or 360 days i'm sorry 360 days so one year would be 360 days Two years would be 720 days, and a half a year would be 180 days. Did you get that? So time equals 360. Times equals 720. Half time would be 180. Now, if you add all those days together, you will come up with, and in fact, let me give you a few moments to write it out. You know, let me not do all the math for you. So 360 plus 
720 plus 180 equals, drum roll, <laughs> 1,260 days. Okay? Very simple. 1,260 days. Now, a day in Bible prophecy equals a year. And I'm only, I'm only going to use two texts to substantiate that for now, but two is enough. Numbers 1434. Write that down. A day equals a year. Numbers 1434 and Ezekiel 4 verse 6. Okay? Numbers 1434 and Ezekiel 4 verse 6. Now, we're looking at the passage. Go back with me to Daniel 7. We read again in verse 25. And we're talking about this little horn power that is persecuting and prosecuting the people of God. It says, and he shall speak great words against the most high and shall wear out the saints of the most high. And think to change time and laws and they shall be given into his hand. How long? Until a time. Times. And the dividing of time. So we did all the mathematics. That's 1,260 years. Now, let me tell you something. Daniel understood by books. He was going back. He's reading the prophecies, and he knows 70 years are determined upon the people. Go with me to the book of Jeremiah. Let's look at it. Jeremiah, keep your finger in Daniel. Jan Jeremiah chapter 25. Jeremiah chapter 25. Look at verse 9. We'll start in verse 9. We'll read 10 and then 11. And then we'll go to Jeremiah 29. But Jeremiah chapter 25, beginning at verse 9, we read, Behold, I will send and take all the families of the north, saith the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar the king of Babylon, my servant, and will bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about, and will utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and an hissing and perpetual desolations. Now, just for a little side note, I always like to say this. Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilling God's purpose when he took down Judah. Okay? Nebuchadnezzar, the Bible says, was God's servant. Just like God said, Cyrus was his anointed. That was the king of the Medes and the Persians. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, God's servant. Cyrus, God's anointed king of Medo-Persia. God can use pagan kings to accomplish his divine will. So please stop playing politics, my friends. Let God do what he does and let's get in line with the plan that he has. That was a, a commercial. But notice verse number 10, moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstone and the light of the candle. Watch carefully. And this whole land shall be a desolation and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon. How long, my friends? 70 years. So notice Daniel is studying the writings of Jeremiah. The number that he knows he has in his head is 70 years. But he had a vision. That just told him 1,260 years. This is complicated. 
God's people are coming up to the end of their 70-year captivity in Babylon, and Daniel is fully, fully expecting that God will deliver Israel from bondage and let them go rebuild Jerusalem. He's fully expecting this in his mind. Like, there's no, like, yo, God's word is true. But then he's like, but wait, I just had this vision that seems to contradict the very word that God put before me. Mercy. What do you do when it seems like that? This is this reminds me of uh, Abraham. Remember Abraham? And Abraham is actually instructed to take out his son. But that very concept is foreign to any true believer because you don't use humans to do sacrifices. That is a pagan way of doing things. What what happens when it seems like there's a contradiction in instruction from the divine? That, that puts folks in a quandary. That puts folks in a quandary. But my friends, there is a relationship that is developed that will push you forward, where you push in with God more until it's made clear and until it's made plain with you. It's interesting also if you if you think about the story of Jacob. Remember the story of Jacob? Jacob is given the birthright or he steals the birthright, but nevertheless, God confirms that the birthright is his via the vision with Jacob's ladder and all the favor that he had in, in his uncle Laban's camp. So he knew the promise that God had, but then he's running away. What about Joseph? Same thing with Joseph, right? Joseph receives a vision, and in that vision, the sheaves are bowing down to him. The stars are bowing down to him. You know, there's all these things that are transpiring that make it seem as if he's going to be this great man, but then at the same time, he's thrown in a pit. Do you see it? Like the promises are there, but then the reality seemed to be robbing us of the reality of that promise. What do you do? My friends, these are all instructional stories for us because it may appear as if the church is about to fall. It may appear as if there's no victory in your relationships that you may be having. It may appear as if your finance, you know, that there might be an appearance, but then you claim a promise and you put your weight on that promise, not on what you see, not on what you feel, but based on what the word of God has already instructed you with. And when you do that, my friends, that's when your spiritual fervency begins to grow. That's when your faith begins to rise up. So Daniel, he studied the prophet. He knows 70 years is about to be accomplished. But then he's getting this over here telling him that 1260 years, and he's feeling confused. You know what some people do when they get to that point when something is, they understand this over here, but they're, they're not sure about this over here. They will dismiss the other point instead of pressing in with God to get clarity, right? They'll just dismiss it because it doesn't make sense to them. But Daniel doesn't dismiss it because he knows the voice of God when he's when God speaks to him. So he doesn't dismiss it. He pushes in. Father, please explain it. Make it plain that I may walk in the light that you have provided for me. Man, oh, for this type of relationship, right? Oh, for more Daniels or Danielettes. <laughs> hmm. Go with me a little further. Jeremiah. Jeremiah 29. I want to show you this because all of this, when we're looking at how God is navigating with Daniel and how he's dealing with Israel, this is instructional for our time and for us today. Now, in Jeremiah 29, and I think I want to start. Jeremiah 29. Now, these are the words. 
yeah, let's start at verse one. Then I'm going to jump down to the verse verses that I really, really love. So Jeremiah 29, verse one, the Bible says. Now, these are the words of the letter that Jeremiah, the prophet, sent from Jerusalem unto the residue of the elders. So those which were left over, which were carried away, which were carried away captives and to the prophets. And to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had carried away captive from Jerusalem to Babylon. So Jeremiah, the prophet's writing a letter and he's going to seek to encourage the people. And he gives them instruction. I'm going to jump down to verse five. It says, build ye houses and dwell in them. Hold on. Build ye houses and dwell in them and plant gardens and eat fruit of them. Take ye wives and beget sons and daughters and take wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands that they may bear sons and daughters that we may be increased there and not diminish. And seek the peace of the city, whither I have caused you to be carried away captives. So God is telling them, you're going to be here for a while. Go ahead and get married and have children. <laughs> for in the peace thereof shall ye have peace. So in the peace of Babylon, you will have peace. Therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, let not your prophets and your diviners. Now watch. Let not your prophets and your diviners be in the midst of you, deceive you, neither hearken to your dreams, which he calls to be dreamed. For they prophesy, how my friends? They prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. Mm. Here God's telling them, I'm going to send you to captivity. When you go there, you need to go ahead and have children. You need to go ahead and get married. You need to go ahead and settle down because you're going to be there for a while. But there are going to be some folks that rise up and say, thus saith the Lord. Rise up and fight against Babylon. You know, there's going to be people that think they're speaking for God when they're really just speaking from their own desires and their own wantingness to be used by God, but not really being submissive to God. He said, don't listen to these false prophets. Verse nine says, for they prophesy falsely unto you in my name. I have not sent them, saith the Lord. Some of that stuff happens even now when people are time setting in time events, putting time prophecy on the same thing. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you. Ooh-wee. <laughs> the reason why I said ooh-wee because something else went off in my head with the, what we're going to do later. But pay attention to the phrase. For thus saith the Lord, that after 70 years be accomplished at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word towards you in causing you to return to this place. Now, here's the verse that many of us use in our regular lives for not understanding the context. What's verse 11 say? For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you what kind of end, my friends? An expected end, a glorious end. God has no desire for us to remain in captivity. Ultimately, he will visit and he will deliver and return them and restore them and build them back up. That's what he's promising here. 
And why am I saying this? Because this is Jeremiah the prophet. This is who Daniel is studying. And Daniel understood by books the number of the days that they were to be in, in, in Babylon. And by books, it was 70 years. But now he's getting 1,260 years. That's Daniel 7. Let's fast forward to Daniel 8. Daniel 8. What happens in Daniel 8? He has a vision. What's in the vision? Ram and a he-goat. Ram and a he-goat. Then a ram, the, 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 the he-goat, the ram and the he-goat. The he-goat ends up having four horns. Out of one of the horns comes another, or one of the horns, or one of the directions comes a little horn. That little horn goes all the way down towards the, towards the, towards the north, towards the south, and towards the... I'm getting it wrong. Let me read it because I don't want to get it wrong, right? We're not in a rush. Daniel, go back to Daniel 8. I want to say towards the south, towards the east, towards the pleasant land. But before it even gets there, look at this. So in Daniel 8, watch what it does. Verse 8. The Bible says, and therefore the goat waxed very great. And when he was strong, the great horn was broken. For it came... And for it came up four notable horns toward the four winds of heaven. And out of one of them came forth a little horn. That's what I was just talking about, which waxed exceeding great towards the south and toward the east and toward the pleasant land. All right. So I was right. And it waxed great even to the host of heaven. So it's waxing south, north, it's waxing south, it's waxing east and towards the pleasant land. And then it changes trajectory and starts going towards heaven. So it has a so this horn is having a perpendicular, or is that parallel? It has a fight this way, and then all of a sudden it makes a war going this way. Fighting this way, war on earth, then it starts fighting this way. Because it becomes a spiritual power trying to fight against the kingdom of heaven. Now watch. Now in this passage, in Daniel 8, Daniel also is concerned, just like in Daniel 7. In Daniel 7, his cogitations troubled him. He was disturbed in his spirit. What happened? This little horn power has persecuted and prosecuted God's people. He's finding out that this power is holding him for 1,260 years. Now he gets to Daniel 8, and what does he read? What does he hear? The angel begins to explain to him the vision, what he's, what's he seeing. And he's very clear. The ram is Medo-Persia. That's what it says in verse number 20. Then he says, the he-go is Greece. That's what it says in verse 21. Very clear. Go back and listen to the previous podcast. You'll find the more detail in what we discussed here. Then he gets to this part. Look at verse number 22. Now, now that being broken, whereas four stood up for it, Four kingdoms shall stand up out of the nation, but not in his own power. And in the time, and in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to the full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding, dark sentences shall stand up, and his power shall be mighty, but not by his own power. Meaning that he has help. He has help. And he shall destroy wonderfully. What do you mean he's going to destroy wonderfully? And shall prosper and practice. And what is he practicing? And shall destroy. What is he going to destroy? The mighty and the holy 
people. Now, didn't we just see in Daniel 7 that when the little horn power began to prosecute and, per and persecute God's people, that caused concern for Daniel? And now in this passage, he sees something similar, yea, the same thing. And watch what happens, my friends. Watch what happens. It says, and through his policy also, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand and shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. He shall stand up against the prince of princes, but he shall be broken without hands. Amen. Now listen. And the vision of the evening and the morning, which was told is true. Wherefore, shut thou up the vision for it shall be for many days. Now, my friends, I want you to know something. And in that moment, when he says, shut thou up the vision, it shall be for many days. Many have thought that that was the end of the vision. No, my friends. The angel Gabriel was still talking. <laughs> he was still, it's almost like he's on a cell phone, right? You're on a cell phone, you're driving, and you're, you're, you're saying something, and then all of a sudden you realize, wait, there's nobody else on the other line. I must have gone through a, like a, 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 a dry spot, you know, like a, a cell phone reception issue. So Gabriel's communicating to Daniel, hey, Daniel, so this is what it means. I'm still in the vision because uh, it's going to be for many days. Boop, what happened? We lost connection. Well, what's the connection loss? And I, Daniel, fainted. My man fell out. <laughs> Daniel, Daniel's like, what did you just say? Did you just say for many? Doosh. Everything else is plain. There's no question. Now, what, what's provoking Daniel to be like, what's, what's going on? What's this vision about? Notice Daniel 8, 13 and 14. Again, a passage that many have hurriedly passed and ran through and not fully understood but we're going to understand it like i really we're going to take our time to to what we call it to to juice to, or to masticate the food to make sure the enzymes are helping us digest okay go to daniel 8 verse 13 and verse 14 for a moment and we're going to be revisiting this section many times daniel 8 verse 13 the bible says then I heard one saint speaking, and another saint said unto that certain saint which spake, How long shall be the vision concerning the daily and the transgression of desolation to give both the sanctuary and the host to be trodden underfoot? Now let me ask you, before I even get to the next part, which is the most important part. If the sanctuary and host are being trodden underfoot, without you even knowing what all that means, is that a good thing or a bad thing if something's being trodden underfoot? If the sanctuary of God is being trodden underfoot and the host of God's people are being trodden underfoot, is that good? The answer is no. No, not a good thing. This is a bad thing. This is a bad thing. God's people are being trampled underfoot. The mighty and holy people are being persecuted. They're given into his hand for a time, times and half a time. But this one's a little different. Watch what it says. How long? That's the question. How long shall it be? How long? How long? The answer. And he said unto me, Unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. What? Wait a second. Daniel just heard. He's been studying the whole time. Jeremiah, the prophet, 70 years. You can find it also in the book Chronicles. You can find this. 70 years. He just hears in Daniel 7, 1,260 years. Now he got another number, 2,300 days. 2,300 days, a day in Bible prophecy equals a year. 2,300 years? Daniel's like, this is, this is, 
And then he says this, this, and then the angel at the end, when he's referring to the days, he literally says, and Daniel fainted. And, and he, no, he says, wherefore shut thou up the vision for it shall be for many days. Daniel's like, that's it. I'm out. <laughs> he's just fell out because it's not making sense. So now that you understand that, okay, now that you understand what's provoking Daniel, now when you read his prayer, you will better understand, okay? Stay with me on this. I, I, we did all that for a purpose. Watch Daniel's prayer. Verse 4. Now, we already know that Jeremiah the prophet, all that. Verse 4, watch this. Now, he's, he's sackcloth and ashes supplicating God, fasting, okay? Verse 4. And I prayed unto the Lord my God. And made my confession. Whose confession? His confession. Whose confession? His confession. Now, there's not one passage in the whole entirety of Scripture that identifies Daniel as breaking anything, breaking any law. But he includes himself in this. Watch. I prayed unto the Lord my God and made my confession and said, O Lord, the great and dreadful God, keeping the covenant and mercy to them that love him and to them that keep his commandments. We have sinned. Who has sinned? We have sinned. Based on what, Daniel? What are you talking about? We have sinned. Wait, wait for it. We have sinned. One. And I've committed iniquity. That's two times he's making reference to sin and iniquity. And I've done wickedly. That's three times. And I rebelled, that's four times, even by departing from thy precepts and from thy judgments, five times. Wait a minute, what, what, are, you, what, are, what are you talking about, Daniel? You mean we have sinned, we have committed iniquity, we, we, we have rebelled, we have departed from thy precepts and from thy judgments. We? Daniel includes himself. He doesn't say they. He says we. We are in apostasy. We have turned away from God. We have violated the covenant. That's what he says. Verse 6. Neither have we hearkened unto thy servants, the prophets. That's one, two, three, four, five. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven times. He's included himself. Which spake in thy name to our kings and our princes and our fathers and to all the people of the land. O Lord, righteous belongeth unto thee please note where who who to whom does righteousness belong god now my friends when we begin to see how god deals with apostasy and rebellion then we will be more like god when folks treat us wrong hmm? stay with me i want to i'm going to take some time and we want to hammer that one in a little bit further as we go but God has millions of people who break his commandments, millions of people who claim to know him by name, millions of people who do this, and <laughs> righteousness belongs to God. That's it. Nobody else. It doesn't belong to anyone else. If you have it, it's because he gave it to you. Lord, oh Lord, righteousness belongs unto thee, but unto us, but unto us, us is inclusive of me, right? Us is inclusive of you. 
us is not just inclusive of those who don't dress the way we want them to dress or eat the way we want them to eat or don't do exactly what we want them to do. That's not us. Us is the complete totality of us as a rebellious people. I don't think we want that. I don't think we want to be categorized as rebellious. I don't think so. I, I think I think we want to justify our our goodness. I'm right. Oh, Lord, righteousness belongeth unto thee, but unto us, confusion of faces. Well, confusion is Babylon, isn't it? As at this day, to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and unto Israel that are near and that are far off through all the countries, whether thou hast driven them. Well, why have you driven them afar off? Why are they scattered abroad? Watch. Because of their trespass, that they have trespassed against thee. Mm. That's why Daniel's in Babylon. That's why the people of God are scattered to all four corners of the earth. That's why they're not in Jerusalem, because of the trespass. Mm. Oh, Lord. To us belongeth confusion of face. Isn't that his second time telling, saying that to us belongs confusion of face? That's the second time. To our kings, to our princes, to our fathers, because we have sinned against thee. We, we, we have sinned against thee. To the Lord our God belongeth mercies and forgiveness, though we have rebelled against him. How many times is he going to say it? Can I, I? The more I have been studying, the more I have been contemplating the character of God and how he deals. Fundamentally to the Christian experience is this idea of the necessity of forgiveness. Do you remember the story? And you'll see how it plays along here shortly. Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Father, you know, my so-and-so has offended me. How many times should I, should I forgive? How many, how many times should I forgive? <laughs> Jesus seems to randomly pull a number out of the air, but he literally is, he's actually about to pull a number directly connected to Daniel chapter 9. But he pulls a number and he says 70 times 7. Se 70 times 7. That's that's the <laughs> that is the instruction Jesus gives to his disciples. And it's not like he said, okay, 70 times 7. Let's keep track of that today. All right. My wife Alpha, today she violated this time. Uh-huh. 469 more to go. Oh, she violated 10 times. Okay, she's down to 459. Mm -mm. That's not what it means. You see, this idea of 70 times 7, and that there is a time. And, and yes, there, there is a limit, but it's a divine limit. Y'all not hear what I'm saying? See, divine limits of forgiveness are beyond human limits of forgiveness. See, human limits of forgiveness could be one day. It'd be two days. 
You do me wrong three days. I'm done with you. I'm out. You're out of my life. Get go. Disappear. <laughs> I ain't got to deal with you. I ain't got to see you. Don't you can't see me. That that is the natural human limitation because we don't have righteousness. You understand? Righteousness belongs to someone else, but to us is confusion of face. Why? Rebellion. And it's strange, you know. It's strange because I, I have observed over time uh, persons or individuals who who literally would have such animus against someone who's done something wrong. And then when you bring out the reality that, hey, you're probably doing the same similar things, they don't see it that way. It's kind of like a Democrat and a Republican. They're both playing both sides and they're both doing some of the similar things. It's it's not about those things as it is about the God who has the heart of the person who is truly surrendered to him. So how many times should you forgive? As much as God does it. Well, how many times has God forgiven you? Now, if you say he hasn't forgiven me that much, that means you haven't you haven't really paid attention to your heart. Hmm. God has forgiven you over and over and over and over again. I mean, I think we swim in forgiveness. I, I swim in the mercy of the most high. I, I swim in that forgiveness. I, I, there's no, like, so it's almost like, you know, if you take the story of the woman caught in adultery and these men are ready to cast stones on the woman for surely she has broken the law of God. And there's no question that she has done this. However, they were the ones that entrapped her in the first place to get her to do that. And, and where's the dude that did it in the, you know, like, like, but they're ready to stone her. And Jesus gets on the ground. He writes in the, in, the, in the dirt. Doesn't say a word. Then he gets up and says, he who's without sin cast the first stone. Mm. What a merciful God. He who's without sin, he who's without, without fault, go ahead and throw the first stone. You have a right to do it if you are without sin. But what should you do? See, this is what they did that was right. Once they realized they had no stones to throw, they left her at the feet of Jesus. They left her alone at the feet of Jesus. That was good. But what they should have done, they should have stayed at the feet of Jesus. You follow? Unto us belongs confusion of face. There is no goodness in us, brothers and sisters. And any goodness that does appear is because the Most High has manifested himself. It's his righteousness, not ours. Verse 10, neither have we obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. Yea, all Israel have transgressed thy law, even by departing that they might not obey the, thy voice. Therefore, therefore, therefore. The curse is poured upon us. Mm. And the oath that is written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, because we have sinned against him. Okay. Watch what's happened. So this is what happened. Daniel the prophet is studying the, the writings of, of Jeremiah the prophet. Daniel the prophet is studying the writings of Moses the prophet. 
Moses and Moses is known as the lawgiver. Okay. So Daniel is studying the law and the prophets. And he's taking his life and the life of the people of Israel, and he's comparing the law and the prophets to the experience of the people of God. And he is going before God and says, God, your judgments are just. We have violated your law. We have broken the covenant. We, have, we are rightfully under the curse. That's what he says. We are rightfully under the curse. What's the curse? Well, part of it, let me see, let me see, let me see if I can find it. I'm going off the top of my head a little bit. Let's see, let's go to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy. And I want us to go to, I want to say 29. Deuteronomy. 28. Now, do not, and this is just one place you can find this. This is the chapter of the blessings and curses, okay? So the, I think the first 15 verses of Deuteronomy chapter 28 are all the blessings of God. Like if you if you obey me, blessed are you in the field, blessed are you when you when you when you come in, blessed are you when you go out. So that's Deuteronomy 28. It's the first part of it, verse first 15 verses are all these wonderful blessings. If you hearken unto me, you will be blessed. And then the rest of the chapter is like, this is what happens when you don't, when it doesn't work out. Okay. This is what happens when you don't obey. So notice in Deuteronomy 28. And I want us to read, I mean, there's so much here. I, I, I want us to read, let's start at verse 49, just for a little bit of context. So you can see the historical application. So De the Deuteronomy chapter 28 is written hundreds of years before we get to Daniel chapter 1, okay? Uh, Deuteronomy 28, verse 49. Notice. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from afar. And this, okay, actually, before I get there, go to verse 15. Verse 15, then I'll read 29. Verse 15 says, But it shall come to pass, if thou wilt not hearken, Unto the voice of the Lord thy God, to observe to do all his commandments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, that all these curses shall come upon thee and overtake thee. So you see that? So that's that's the passage. That's the, that's the idea. If you don't obey, then all these curses. Now, this is part of the curse. Verse 49. The Lord shall bring a nation against thee from far. From the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth. Wait, do you see that? As swift as the eagle flieth. Babylon had wings like a eagle. Interesting. From the end of the earth, as swift as the eagle flieth, a nation whose tongue thou shalt not understand. The tongue of the Chaldeans. Notice, a nation of fierce countenance, which shall not regard the person of the young a person of the old, nor the favor of the young, and he shall eat the fruit of thy paddle and the fruit of thy land until what? Until thou be destroyed, which also shall not leave thee corn, either corn, wine, or oil, or the increase of thy kind, or flocks of thy sheep until he have destroyed thee. And he shall besiege thee in all thy gates until thy high and fence walls come down, wherein thou trustest 
throughout all thy land, and he shall besiege thee in all thy gates throughout all thy land, which the Lord thy God hath given thee. So it's possible for you to receive a blessing from God and then ultimately that blessing be taken away because the covenant relationship has not been kept. It's possible. A solemn thought, right? Yeah. It says, and thou shalt eat the fruit of thy own body, verse 53, the flesh of thy sons and of thy daughters, which the Lord thy God have given thee in the siege, in the straightness wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee. So that the man that is tender among you and very delicate, his eyes shall be evil toward his brother and toward the wife of his bosom and toward the remnant of his children, which he shall leave so that he will not give to any of them of the flesh of his children whom he shall eat because he hath nothing left in the siege and in the straightness there wherewith thine enemies shall distress thee in thy gates. Now, my friends, Babylon, initially when Daniel was taken, it was besieged, but it wasn't destroyed. So when that's like 605, 606, then there was a second besiegement in 597. And then lastly, in 587 or 586, Jerusalem was razed to the ground. Literally, people ate their children. It's recorded in the biblical text. The very words that God prophesied, the very words that were prophesied by Jesus himself through his word were manifested in the experience of the people. Here's the thing. God is so patient with us, right? Like we could be doing wrong, wrong, wrong. Like we'll do, we just keep doing wrong, keep doing wrong. Not understanding the reason why we're not eliminated is because God literally loves us so much. He's not willing that anybody should perish. So he, he just belabors this thing. He just lets it go and lets it go and lets it go until he can't do anything more than allow some distress. And then even when that distress doesn't work, then ultimately, of course, then he has to allow us to be put to rest. But I, I think about this and I say to myself, how long? Because it's not like we're better than Israel. Like, I, I don't know if you think you're, I don't think. Okay, so, yeah, Sister Ingrid asked, is that destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD? Actually, no, Sister Ingrid, that destruction that I'm speaking about is in 587. And this is the, the three times. Now, 70 AD is a different prophecy. This is after Jesus has come on the scene. But, no, the reality is Jerusalem and under what we call Solomon's temple, that temple uh, was taken three different times before it was ultimately destroyed in 587 BC. Okay, just, just to keep that thought. Now, uh, my thought is this. While he is patient, I think it would do as well to be intentional in asking him to show us what it is that may be hindering him from having full access in our lives. Uh, I believe that there is another level that we are supposed to have in our experience. I believe with all my heart that there is another stratosphere, if you will, that the people of God are supposed to enter into 
but we cannot enter into that space. And he's patient now. Like, listen, he's not trying to eliminate folks, but we cannot enter into that space while we are holding on to something that heaven said to let go of. And the only way you'll know that it's heaven telling you to let go of it to the law and to the testimony and then God's promptings of his spirit and his divine providences as doors open or close. So go back with me. Go back with me to Daniel. I, I see that we're only going to get through the prayer part and we'll get to the prophecy part or actually still the prophecy part because I'm giving you the principle of the prophecy. So Daniel is identifying the issue. He's identi identified the issue as the breaking of the covenant relationship. The breaking of the law of God. The, 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 the bringing sin into the experience. And the reason why they're scattered is because of sin. Okay, let's keep, watch keep watching. So he studied right as Moses, verse 12. Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, we're looking at verse 12. Yes, that's true. Verse 12 says, And he hath confirmed his words which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing upon us a great evil. For under the whole heaven have not been done as hath been done upon Jerusalem. <coughs> Excuse me. Now, Sister, Sister Inger is actually bringing out a good point. I, I, I don't want to get distracted, but she's bringing out a good point. The same thing that happened in the destruction of Jerusalem under Solomon's temple is the same thing that happened in the destruction of Jerusalem under what we call Herod's temple. I have a whole study called the Glorious Holy Mountain that we will probably get into later on in a different time that shows the parallels of the experience. Now, the reason why it's so important to know that there are parallels is because history repeats itself. And if we find ourselves, there's a there's a there's a song I love that my one of my Bible students made up many years ago. I mean, it was like almost eight, nine years ago now. And it's from is a book of Ecclesiastes, chapter one and verse nine. It kind of goes like this. Uh, the thing that hath been. It is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done and. There is no new thing under the sun. The thing that hath been, it is that which shall be. Powerful song, right? That is a principle that if, if you're understanding what I'm sharing with you right now, you will understand that principles are not codified by time. Principles shift throughout time. Therefore, history repeats itself because principles are forgotten or principles are applied. So, again, principles are not relegated by time. They go from the beginning of time to the end of time. Principles are principles. So in this story, as we're reading about Daniel, and sin is the focal issue as to why their covenant relationship is there and why this pagan power has dominance over them, when we begin to understand that, then we understand the larger picture when we put the time prophecies on top of it. Okay? Because the principle, the undergirding principle is sin is a problem. Sin must be dealt with. Sin cannot be put under the rug. We can't ignore it. We can't just be like, que sera, sera. Uh, uh, There's some folks, and listen, you know, 
There are some people that talk to me or I've heard say, say things like such and such is not a salvific issue. Yeah. Salvific issue. Pride is a salvific issue. Arrogancy is a salvific issue. Doing what God says to do when he says to do it is a salvific issue. It cannot be dismissed. We can't water it down. We can't be like, well, we just need to talk about sentimental love because love includes obedience. So here, Daniel, again, <laughs> going over the history, seeing the history being played out, is asking for something. Watch what he's asking for. It says again in verse 12, and he hath confirmed his words, which he spake against us and against our judges that judged us by bringing up on us a great evil. For under the whole heaven have not been done as hath been done into Jerusalem. Hmm. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this evil has come upon us. Yet made we not our prayer before the Lord our God. In other words, we did not pray and ask God for help, even while all this distress was coming upon us. Why? that we might turn from our iniquities. We didn't want to turn from our iniquities. We want to keep doing what we're doing. We want to be saved in our sins and not from them. And understand that truth. We don't want to understand truth. No, no. Because to understand truth would mean that I'm wrong. And if I'm wrong, that means I'm not righteous. And if I'm not righteous, that means I have to be humble. I don't want to be humble. I don't want to apologize. I don't want to ask. For, I don't want to be forgiving folks for stuff they do to me. And I definitely don't want to forgive people that do bad things to me. That is the nature of us, my brothers and sisters. The Bible says there's no good man in here. No, not one. All of us are an unclean thing of our natural selves. Of our natural selves. Mm. The thing is, it's it's interesting. There's a there's a quotation from Christ Object Lessons that talks about the heart. And maybe I'll share it with you before it's done, but it talks about how while speaking to God of poverty of spirit, right? While speaking to God, they didn't say while speaking to brothers, it said while speaking to God of poverty of spirit, the heart does not believe it. It's like you can say it. I can tell you right now verbally, but the heart is like, no, I'm, a, I'm actually a good person. I'm, a, I'm not a bad person. I'm okay. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have fallen under the curse of sin. And I'm going to tell you a secret. Most people don't know this, but good people are not going to heaven. Only righteous, saved people are going to heaven. Hmm. And guess who determines that? The Most High. Verse 14, therefore hath the Lord watched upon the evil and brought it upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous. And all his works which he hath doeth, for we obey not his voice. And now, O Lord our God, that has brought thy people forth out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand and has gotten thee renowned as at this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, 
according to all thy righteousness. Now watch what he does. So Daniel straight up acknowledges we have said, and he said it multiple times, not one time, not two times, not three times. He's pouring out his heart and recognizing the violation, praying according to the word. Hmm? Then he says, O Lord, according to all thy righteousness, I beseech thee, let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. Because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are become a reproach to all that are about us. You know, as I'm going through this, you know, I, as I'm going through this, I'm I take it personal. Like I'm looking at my life. Daniel does not exclude himself. He includes himself, and he's he's saying we have not represented you well. We actually have become a reproach in the nation. We have not. We have been a, a stink in the nostrils. You know what I'm saying? We, we. But he. But he. But he lays hold on the righteousness of God. He says, "But according to your righteousness, I beseech thee." He didn't say, based on our goodness, I beseech thee. Because we made these reforms, I beseech thee. He literally says, because of your righteousness, I beseech you. Turn your anger and your wrath away from Jerusalem. Hmm. Hmm. Thy holy city, thy holy mountain, because for our sins, and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and thy people are becoming a reproach to all that are about us. Now, therefore, O our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear and hear, open thine eyes and behold our desolations. And the city which is called by thy name, for we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness. Hmm. Let me read it again. Got distracted. Now, therefore, our God, hear the prayer of thy servant and his supplications and cause thy face to shine upon thy sanctuary that is desolate for, thy, for the Lord's sake. O my God, incline thine ear to hear. Open thine eyes and behold our desolations and the city which is called by thy name. Watch. For we do not present our supplications before thee for our righteousness, but for thy great mercies. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hearken and do. Defer not for thine own sake, O my God. And for thy city and thy people are called by thy name. Hmm. Have you, have you, today, I mean, have you just thrown your feet, thrown yourself at the feet of Jesus? Like, literally, like, I have nothing 
there's nothing in me to for you to listen to what I have to say here, Lord. <laughs> there's no goodness in me. I I am completely dependent upon you and everything that I am. Forgive me for my rebellion and my stubbornness. It's in this position that Daniel intercedes for a people that don't deserve to be interceded for. And Daniel becomes a type of a people in the last days who will intercede on the behalf of God's people that don't deserve to be interceded for. And Don, Daniel does not do this and say they. Daniel says we. I'm in the same spot. So please note, Daniel recognizes his issue. Daniel recognizes the issue of Israel. Sin, rebellion, iniquity, transgression, all these play their parts in the breaking of the covenant and causing God's people to be in captivity. And I'm asking you, whether it be in your finances, for I know I've made mistakes there. Whether it be in raising children, I know I've made a mistake there. Whether it be in your diet and health, well, I know I've made mistakes there. <laughs> like you can listen, you can go through everything of all the counsel of God, and you can go through every facet of it, and you will find that you have violated in some way, shape, or form. And it's in that reality that you come to the place where you say, I have nothing that I can offer to the most high for him to say, you know what? You're a great guy, Andre. What I can present is my need. It cries louder than my words could possibly express. And even in my prayers, I cannot express the reality of my need sometimes, but the Holy Ghost comes and expresses it for me to him. And in that same sense, the need of the body of Christ is so, brothers, we are, we are in a crisis even now. Vital connection with God. That's what we need. Oh, brothers and sisters, let me finish this. I love this. Watch this. Let me let me let me finish this. Daniel 9. It says, and while I was speaking and praying, so while while he's doing this. And confessing my sin, just so you know, it's not everybody else's sin, but if he confesses his sin and the sin of my people, Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God. Yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, the man who? The man Gabriel, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning. What vision at the beginning? He's referring back to Daniel chapter 8. That same angel is found in Daniel 9. Even that same man who I saw at the beginning of the vision, 
being caused to fly swiftly, touch me about the time of the evening oblation. Now, evening oblation, my friend, if you look it up, evening oblation, it's around three o'clock, the same time when Jesus died on Calvary was about three o'clock, the evening oblation. It's the same time that Elijah the prophet, while he's there with the prophets of Baal, he prays. It's about that same time, three o'clock, that the fire came down from heaven and consumed all the altar. The time of the evening oblation. Notice. And he informed me and talked with me and said, oh, Daniel, listen. Oh, Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. I hope y'all getting this. So as Daniel is confessing his sin, confessing the sins of the people, and he's in supplication in an earnestness of God, a Gabriel who stands at the right hand of the Most High comes down and tells Daniel, I have come to give you skill and understanding. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, what's happening right now? And, and I'm going to express it to you, even as we're studying the scriptures now. Do you know who is here helping? Angels. I've come to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplications, the commandment came forth, and I am come to show thee, for thou art, what's it say? Thou art, what's it say? Greatly beloved. Therefore, understand the matter and consider the vision. We're stopping there. Did you get it? Thou art greatly beloved. Did you get it? Before Gabriel gives him skill and understanding, he confirms the love of God for Daniel and for the people. Before there's this great, deep explanation of the 2300 and the 490, God confirms his love for his people, even in their distress. Let me tell you something. I don't know who's listening. I don't know who will listen. But if you're going to hear me some way, you come to this point in the video and you're listening to this. I'm telling you right now, the most high loves you. I mean, loves you. Like crazy love, like. Beyond beyond what's fathomable to the human mind is God's great love for us. Do you realize Daniel has this, God gives Daniel this expression, right? You are greatly beloved. Gabriel from the right hand of God tells him, you are greatly beloved. Do you know that the John the Revelator, do you know what he, he, he calls himself? The one who, who Jesus loved. <laughs> you see, these, these great prophetic teachers, these great, these great books of the Bible written by these great men have come to a very simple concept. Love, they are loved by God, and you are loved by God. Even when you don't love yourself, when other people don't love you, you are loved by God. 
no matter if you're in captivity, no matter if you're in debt, no matter if you've gotten divorced, no matter if you, you're married to somebody that's crazy, no matter if your children are crazy, no matter if you lost all your money, no matter if you have a bunch of money, no matter whatever, if you're feeling lonely, you're loved. And you're loved not because you're good. No, God does not love me because I'm good. No, no, no. He doesn't love me more when I'm more obedient. He doesn't love me less when I'm disobedient. He is love. He is love. He is love. And that love transforms. That love transforms. It's not conditional. God's love is unconditional. How we respond to that love is up to us. But he loves. So all these prophecies and people of God in captivity and being persecuted by the Antichrist power, these all are happening because there is a disconnect between the covenant relationship and the chosen people of God. But my friends, God is about to make a move. There's about to be a unity move. I want to be a part of that move. Don't you? I want to bask in that love and bask in that forgiveness. I want to bask in his presence. And when you do that, there is something created in you that you don't naturally have yourself. There's faith grown in you that you don't normally have. There's there's joy in you that you would not normally have. It is supernatural. It doesn't make sense. Except you're at the source of love. You're dwelling in the source of his love. And with that understanding, my friends, there is no weapon formed against you that will prosper. Contemplate these things, my friends. Go back and review them. Prayerfully consider. We didn't even touch the prophetic part of it, but that's okay. I mean, the the other nuts and bolts of it, but that's okay. I think we got to the heart of the matter for tonight. We laid the foundation and we're going to build on it. Please take the time. Get in your word. Be alone with God. Wrestle with him and surrender what he says, surrender. And it's okay to surrender to him. He's 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 a good God. <laughs> he's not like man or woman, but he's like God himself. And God, you can trust him with everything. Bow your heads with me. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and mercy and the privilege that we've had to study our Bibles. We've taken our time this evening. You see us, Father. There's nothing hid from your eyes. You know everything about us. The pretend, you see right through it. The false smiles, the supposed righteous looks that we have, you see right through everything, and you know us inside and out. I pray, Father, that we be real with you as you are real with us. And as you are revealing the reality of what we are, help us to just stay in place so that as you reveal the reality of who you are, 
we will find confidence in loving you. Forgive us for our sins. According to your righteousness, Father, not according to ours, for we have nothing to give except that which you desire, which is our hearts. For we ask that you take our hearts, for we cannot truly give them. They are your property. Keep them, for we cannot keep them for thee. Save us from ourselves, our weak, unchristlike selves, and raise us into a pure and holy atmosphere where the rich currents of your love may truly flow through our souls. Thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, my friends, thank you so much for taking the time to study with, with me tonight. Um, I was going to make an announcement tonight, but I don't think it's time. So I will hold off my announcement until another time. Uh, your prayers are appreciated. Uh, your support is appreciated. I'm going to continue to just share. I'm just going to keep sharing, you know, not going to charge for these Bible studies. <laughs> I'm just going to keep sharing and keep sharing and keep sharing and keep sharing. You guys pray for me uh, that I, we can keep doing this. I guess I will, you know, we, I, I think I told some of you already, we are going to be doing um, broadcasting on television networks here shortly. Well, not these studies directly like this. We have a different format. So we're going to require your prayers. And if you want to help financially, that would be great too. Um, I'm probably going to be launching that in the next, I don't know, three weeks, it looks like. Um, the first program is going to be broadcast. And I'll let you know the details of where we broadcast. But, you know, your prayers and your support would be greatly appreciated. God bless you guys tonight. We love you. Keep us in prayer on this side because the enemy don't like what we're doing for sure. So um, you guys have a blessed evening. Good night.